The New Level Cap Podcast is a show about fun, friends, game design, and all things otherwise. Your hosts are Marco DeSantos and Brad Talton of Level 99 Games. I'm Chris Solis, your producer, and without further ado, please enjoy the show. It's a good Disney. All right. Uh, you want to Are you ready? Woohoo! Are Woo. you ready? Yes, Brad, I'm ready. You're supposed to say, like, no, I'm not ready. Are you sure? Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, have uh, you have you have you seen have you seen Princess and the Frog yet? No, I have not. That's a watched. movie. That's a movie reference. The the song. Okay, so you need first thing you need to watch Princess and the Frog because this piece of, this is a masterpiece. Is this the um, Disney cartoon movie? Yes, the Disney animated film. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was like their last hand animated film, and it's it's brilliant. But the second one is <clears throat> the second part is that is a song from the movie, and it's the catchiest song in like all Disney. So, I uh, see. you definitely need to watch it for that, just so you can have the song stuck in your head. All right, I will find a legal way to watch it and make sure that it gets stuck in my head. And so that next time you make this reference, I can actually sing along with you. How about that? Sure. Sounds good. Is that a deal, Brad? All right. Um, I guess I guess that will be our deal. All right. Shake hands. Aha, you fool. In the fine print, it also says that this song shall be used for other nefarious purposes. Are you sure you haven't watched this movie? Uh, no, I, I've actually have not. Is this is that something that happens? Did they make a deal with the devil kind of thing? That's that's this is the song he's they sing when he's about to make a deal with the voodoo doctor. Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm psychic. I'm psychic. This is this proves it. I have I have evil devil magic powers. You just didn't know. You just didn't know. Welcome to the new level. I camp see, Marco. <laughs> welcome, to welcome. The, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, you know, it's not every day that we find out that half of our hosts are secretly the devil, but this is this is one of those days. Uh, it's quite unfortunate if this is your first episode, because uh, now I believe you are cursed. Wait, am I cursed too, or just the listeners? Just the listeners. I think you're immune to it, uh, mostly because you've dealt with this for over ninety something episodes. So I, I think I've been I, inoculated to the curse. Yeah, yeah, you're part of the curse, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm just a manifestation of the curse. Now we're yeah. getting, now we're getting Castlevania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of course, of course. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. No, okay, no. But seriously, welcome to the New Level Cap Podcast, a podcast about game design, fun, family friendly, fun. Promise not evil and promise all things otherwise. Yeah. And about reassembling Marco so that you can defeat him once and for all to break the curse. Yeah, so that <laughs> an Avenger dead mom or something. Um, welcome. I'm your host, Marco DeSantos, also known as McAndrew Griggin. With me is my amazing co-host. Totally not just a manifestation of a curse. Brad Talton. And uh, we have a really exciting talk for you guys today. We are going to talk about flexibility of use. Uh, particularly as it applies to game components and uh, board games, card games in particular. So um, join along and uh, we, we will have a great show for you. All right. So let's start this off and kick it in the head with a definition. It's very important for definitions are very important because we can't talk about this topic until we're all on the same page. Otherwise, we're going to have that Loki's, uh, Loki's paradox kind of mythos thing where we don't agree on definitions and therefore can't solve a problem. So, Brad, what what do we mean by flexibility of use? What is flexibility? So, in a lot of games, you know, 
game pieces and particularly cards have different ways that they can be used and they'll behave differently when they're in different positions or they'll mean different things when they're in different positions and i'm not uh generally talking about you know cards with two effects like do a or b but a card that i can play it during this phase of the turn to do this thing or i can play it in this phase of the turn and it does this other thing and those two things are mechanically uh disjointed from one another yeah right? so um so the so these cards will behave differently and they will really sort of change into a different thing when uh when used in different ways and so we're going to talk about you know some adva- examples of that and then advantages disadvantages of these uh components that can be used in multiple ways okay so, but quick quick yeah. kind of like you know interjection here in the mm-hmm. common, you know, zeitgeist or like common consciousness, when you talk about a card, most people on average will believe that the card only does one thing, right? Um, right. When you talk about most modern games right now, most popular ones like Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, uh, Shadowverse, or whatever, every single CCG, TCG in existence, people often think of a card as just doing one thing. You know, Black Lotus is. You know, add three mana of any color. Or, like, Pot of Greed allows me to draw two cards from my deck. Like, no matter what context you're in, Pot of Greed is always going to be a thing you play to draw two cards from your deck, right? No matter what. Yeah, there are are also cards, like the Druid cards in Hearthstone, that are, like, you play the card and then it gives you a choice. I can do, you know, this this path, or I can do this path. But even those are not truly, like, um, what we would at least what I would consider like truly flexible cards because your choice is still, do I play the card or do I not play the card? It's mm-hmm. not, do I play the card in, you know, in way A or do I play the card in way B? Yeah. So um, we're, we're talking about yeah. like the difference in the uses has to be very disparate. For example, yeah. like something along the lines of like the card is either played as a thing or it's your health, right? Well, like the let card. Me, yeah. Let me give you a good example. Like in, there's a game called race for the galaxy, which is quite famous. And in this game, every card is a piece of technology, um, or it's either technology or a planet, but they're in your hand, and you can use these cards in your hand. Um, I can throw them away to pay for things, so they're money, or if um, if I have a planet in play and I want to produce good on that planet, I can take a card from the deck and put the card on the planet, and now the card is a good instead of a card. Um, yeah. And the, so if it's face up, it's a planet. If it's face down, it's good. If I spend it from my hand to throw away, I can create uh, resources. Another good example, there's a game called Imperial Settlers. It also is um, a spiritual successor to a game called 51st State. Um, and in those, you have a bunch of buildings. But if you can't afford the building or you don't want the building, you can actually transform the building, flip it upside down and stick it under your player board and it becomes a income resource so it becomes a production so every card is both a production building and an activity building oh okay so it, it, it could turn into like a passive bonus or turn into some sort of active ability is what you're saying yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah so it it's also very important to understand that we ourselves have games that are that make use of this like mechanic is this a mechanic or is this just like a, an area of design like, I think we would probably call this more of a conceit than a mechanic. I mean, it's it's it is very nebulous, right? Like, if you want to call this a mechanic and consider it a tool in your toolbox, sure. Um, it's really, um, and that's fine. I don't think that there's a hard definition of what it is or isn't. 
it's a way of doing things, and it's a useful way of doing things that uh, that we see more and more of, especially in the board game sector. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, also, so, quick, quick aside. Conceit. Like, what does that mean? Because it's like I only know conceited. <laughs> oh, uh, a con- conceit is sort of like a um, just a method of thought or a, um, a a big idea or a way of thinking of things. Yeah, a way of thinking of things. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, sure. All right. So, so we have games that make use of this conceit. Ah, uh, using that vocab that I just learned on podcast. Oh, ah, ah. The more you know, Marco. That's like the second time we've made that joke in the past two episodes. I think we should stop. Uh, oh okay. no! The more you know, souls. The more you know. <laughs> Okay, this is going to okay. be really sad in the next episode. Um, no, but so we have games that make use of this conceit as well, right? We have Exceed. And in Exceed, yeah. every card is actually two different things. You can play it as an attack. Uh, so it has that like range, power, speed values, and all that stuff. Or you could play it as a boost, which is like a temporary buff to your character. In fact, some characters even take this further by having transforms. Other characters have different kinds of yeah. boosts and all that stuff. And I would actually even say that... Um... All, like so there's two there's two effects on the card right you have your attack time which is used during the attacking phase you have the boost which is used during a non-combat phase but you also you can you can chuck the card for force but also when it's in your gauge it is a different kind of resource once you have hit with it and turned it a gauge mm-hmm. and um and again some characters have other ways they can use these such as transforms um or even the uh, overload abilities that appear in uh, on Carl Swangy um, a lot of cards have different mechanics that are that make them behave differently in different zones or even for different characters. Yeah. So it's uh, so Exceed is a great example of this. Uh, Pixel Tactics is our other example. I think is the better example because Pixel Tactics yeah. is at its very core built around this entire concept. Right. You wanted to be able to integrate like multiple uses for a single card. Uh, in as many ways as possible, and every single card in Pixel Tactics is five different things, right? Yeah, they could be a leader that changes your whole unit. They can be a hero, and then three types of hero depending on where they're placed, and then they can be an order. I really only consider the leader hero order split to be different. The different zones having different effects is really more similar to Hearthstone, where it's just a choice you make about what kind of power you want out of the card. It's not really a difference of... It doesn't really change the way that you would play the card, though. Yeah, because you literally play it into the same um, into the same field, right? Like, the heroes all have a spot, uh, orders have a spot, and leaders have a spot, and regardless of yeah. where you put your hero, it's still a hero, right? So it doesn't really yeah. change the core. But but even, in, even then, right? Like, it, it just goes to show that a lot of Pixel Tactics is all about cramming as much usability or flexible uses for a single card on one card, right? Like, yeah, and what you see about most of these systems is that the the card is only part of the game, uh, or is only part of it. The way that you are putting the card on the table, or the zone you're playing it into, or the arrangement, the position of the card, determines a lot of how it can be used. So, so very little of the flexibility um, you know, is on the card. Uh, Pixel Tactics being the crazy exception to this. Insane exception. Yeah, most of these cases, the flexibility is in a single symbol on the card or a single uh, tiny note or number on the card, and it's used in a different way to leverage that number. Heck, it it might as well just be like you just flip the card and it's totally a different thing now, right? Like, yeah. 
or or you just like you know orient the card in a different way and now it means an entirely different thing right um mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of games that make use of that wherein they have symbols on the side of the card and when you like do the special thing with the card you turn it to its side and now you only care about that little thing that was sideways before but is now upright like orientation yeah. plays a lot into it too Mm-hmm. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in the, uh, you know, in the advantages and, and in pitfalls uh, as we get further on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's certainly a lot of ways that um, that you can use a card without having to add more weight to the effects. And I think that's the important thing about that point is that when you just add symbols or a number or um, something more that's more universal, you will see that, um, you know, that, that you don't have to add a lot of complexity to the card to give it a lot more power and a lot more flexibility. So there's definitely a temptation to do what I did in Pixel Tactics and make uh, five more complexity boxes. equals... Yeah, more complexity equals more flexibility, but you don't need complexity uh, to implement flexibility. You can have flexibility and maintain simplicity. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not just symbols, right? Just giving the player multiple actions that they can do with certain components that aren't written on the components. I mean, Exceed does this, right? Where uh, cards can be used as force. Uh, yeah. th- that's essentially it. It basically, like that entire force mechanic just says, if you don't li- if you don't want to actually play what's on this card, just you, you just chunk it for whatever. It's, I had it's a, a resource, yeah. Yeah, I had a discussion in the Exceed uh, Discord for the long, uh, earlier today, actually. And there was like an hour of people talking about why certain Exceed characters are really good. And it boils down to this. It's like, you know, these characters have really, 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 really good cards, but some of their other cards are bad. But that doesn't matter because you can always just chuck the cards for force. And that's something that Mm -hmm. I've never experienced in Battlecon because in Battlecon, you don't have flexible use cards because cards in Battlecon are always the same thing, right? You can't use them for anything else other than to attack. Uh, So having a bad style... you can't use a style as anything but a style and a base as anything but a base. Exactly. And if you have a bad style, that's it. You're stuck with it, right? You have to play it. You have to work around those disadvantages. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's that's a a good point is that um, if you want to have a game that where you force people to work around disadvantages, then um, these kind of flexible uses are not good. They will they give players a lot of choice, and a lot of choice means that players will feel rich in options. They have there'll always be something that they can do, and there'll always be a different way that they can do it. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to make a game a game of shortages, a game where managing the resources that you have available is very important and very precise, these kinds of flexible resources may be a detriment to to the game. Yeah. So it's something to uh, to certainly consider. Uh, that there are, there's there's negative space as well as like as you'd say on art you know white space on the canvas can have uses too it's uh and uh and if you fill up every square inch of space that you have with uh with more and more stuff that can take that can take away from the overall experience even if it adds to the depth of the gameplay i mean ultimately if you paint the entire canvas black it's not good <laughs> right yeah, yeah unless that's what you're going for yeah Oh, I mean, so I think it's it's a matter of intent, right? It's a matter of um, like we were talking about in our first episode. It's a matter of uh, creating with purpose. Yeah, you have to know what your goal is first before you can get there. Yeah, and it's it's good to understand that when we talk about any of the mechanics and any of the conceits that we talk about on the show, is that they're not always good, right? Like I think you put it very very well earlier on. It's a tool, right? 
tools aren't always useful in every single situation and making use of a tool isn't always the best idea right when you need to hammer a nail in a screwdriver is not going to really help that much or if you're trying yeah. to screw something in trying to use a buzz saw will not help you ultimately yeah, and the most important the most important thing you choose your construction project then you pick up your tools and not vice versa you don't pick up your tool and say well what can i build with this yeah. The, ultimately, they're a way for you to bring the vision or the experience you want to life, right? Don't limit your vision or experience based on what you know. Learn things to help you bring the experience you want to give to your players to life, right? That's ultimately yeah. the, the deal, right? Okay, so as much as I would like to keep going, I think we should take a small break so that the fans can, you know, think about their projects, get their tools up, and we can... You know, shine our shine our tools, sharpen our tools with whetstones, and hopefully kill a dragon during the following break. Brad, take us out into the break. All right, let's break. The Level 99 Games Organized Play Program is now better than ever. Play across four titles and earn points and get 12 exclusive promo cards. Promos are for Battlecon, Exceed, Temper Odyssey, and Pixel Tactics. Join the Organized Play program today. You can find a link to the program in the description. Alright, welcome back everybody. I have sharpened the tools on the whetstone of light. I have slain the curse that is the dragon, that is the devil, that is Marco. And now the world is saved. And now we can enter the dark world for phase two of the adventure where real Shadow Marco lives. With his shadow curse. But if regular Marco had the curse of darkness, then shadow Marco is the curse of light, right? Yes, hello. It is me, your whimsical companion. My name is Twifty, and I'm here to give you advice. Hey, 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 hey. Okay, okay, Twifty, Twifty, uh, let's let's get back to the the program. I don't want to... I, um... I see. I can see where this is going, and I don't like it. Okay, you don't like it. Twifty's dead now. This is what you've done. I've I've killed Twifty. I see. Was was Twifty the uh, like the the only thing sealing away Shadow Marco all along? Yes, yes. That's the lore. Yeah, Twifty is actually deep, deep Twifty. Twifty lore. See, this is the this is the thing. You actually evaded the bad ending because Twifty's actually Shadow Marco in disguise. See, and by I denying see. Twifty, you have denied the darkness, and now you're no longer a vessel for Saiyanort. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see. It, you know, there's nothing. There's really like there's really nothing worse than being a vessel for Xehanort. I caught the Xehanorts once. I was like laid up for a week, so I'm yeah. glad to have Xehanorts out of my system. Yeah, yeah, being Norted's really, really, really bad. But you know what's not bad? Understanding the pros and cons. Of flexible use in your games. So, Brad, we've talked about flexible use, what they are, and what games have implemented them, as well as some examples and how you can personally implement them in your games. Now, what happens if I implement these things into my game? How can it positively impact the player experience? Go. You you would implement this to make each resource um, more useful in different ways. You're less likely to be locked out of any given action. There's always something to do. Um, since each card can be used in each different way, then you have a sort of uh, sort of universality to all your resources. If it's not useful here, I can leverage it there. If it's not useful there, I'll leverage it in this third way. 
and it makes games feel much more open to the player choice. At the same time, the depth of choices can be daunting, and I'll cover that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the kind positive of games first, that positive, benefit... Positive. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, the kind of games that benefit from this are slightly more complex games with a lot of different states. So mm-hmm. things where, um, like I said, I have planets, and I want to populate those planets with goods, and then I want to sell those goods later. Maybe I can use the cards to cover that so that I don't have to add another component to my game. Or so that the there's only one component in the game, and players don't have to learn about a lot of different things in order to play. Um, the real advantage to this, though, I think, is that it can link disconnected systems together in really surprising ways. And this can actually add a lot of depth and a lot of replayability to the game. Um, one game that immediately comes to mind for this is actually Jasko's UFS, Universal Fighting System. Oh, yeah. So in that game, um, you have your attacks... But each of your attacks is also a block and can cover certain zones. And also each of your attacks has a little control number in the bottom corner. And when you want to make an attack, you have to flip over the top card of your deck and check the number there. And if you don't, and that's your mana cost. So in this, in this game, your mana cost is basically unknown until after you've played the card. Yeah. So with, um, so in your, um, in your construction, when you're constructing your saying, yeah, when deck. you're constructing your deck, you want to put in a lot of high numbers so that it can help cover the costs of the cards that you want to play. Um, at the same time, you want to put in cards but, that have a lot of block zones or a different number of block zones, uh, so that you can cover all of your different blocks. And these two um, and these two things together really inform the way that a UFS deck is built in a way that's um, you know that is is interesting beyond just picking the 60 best attacks and foundations for my character whereas yeah. which is what a lot of other collectible card games would ask you to do yeah and you know uh taking from our games right like again exceed like even if you desperately need the force for something you won't discard a card in your hand because you know you need it to strike next turn right and even a simple decision like that is only possible if your card has flexible uses right because yeah. those are things and- you actually have to consider <laughs> Another great example from one of our games in Pixel Tactics, there is a character, and that character has a trap on them. And the trap says, like, when you're attacked, flip this character over, make them a hero, and they become the target of the attack. So, like, that's something that you couldn't do unless every trap is also a hero. So you get those interesting links together between your systems where a card in one zone can then change zones and suddenly become a new thing. And that's a... That, that kind of inherent link between systems is a lot more interesting and a lot more fluid. It feels more natural than having to go get a different component from a different zone. Um, and it really also lets you balance those those kind of interactions between the different systems. Yeah, that's very important to, to say, right? Because in another game, like, say, Magic or Hearthstone, it would create a hero token when you use something like that, right? Okay, Brad, you're Mr. Sunshine Positive, right? You're Mr. Sunshine Positive. These are the good yeah. things that can happen if you put uh, flexible use into your card game or into your board game. You're gonna, or you're gonna be game. the bad cop. I'm bad Marco. cop. I'm devil's advocate, negative Marco. It all ties together because I will tell you now. How poorly implemented flexible use, and in fact, even well-implemented flexible use, can end up lessening or dampening 
the player experience. Brad, you were talking all about some decisions, right? How it gives the player more options so that cards aren't useless in their hand when the specific one use the card is used for isn't relevant. Uh, but if a game like BattleCon has taught me anything, is that giving players too many options can often leave them with analysis paralysis. And that's not a good experience where you the player feels like they have so much to do that at any moment, if they make one decision, they feel like they suddenly lose half of their options. Or they feel like they made the wrong decision because it's very unlikely that they get the one correct decision out of the 400 possibilities that they have. Yeah, and I think that there's an important, a really important caveat here that when you do this sort of thing well, you really need to think about the like high level of a card. If a card can be played in two different ways, and those ways are kind of similar, or they kind of accomplish the same thing, then you do run into that AP situation. But you can avoid that if the different uses of the cards are vastly different. Like, if they accomplish very, very different things. So... um to go back to our example with Exceed, I can play a card to attack, I can play a card to boost, I can play a card for force to move around the board. There's very few situations where I would look at a card and say, is this card better played as an attack, or is this card better played as the as as force because to move? Because I either want to move or I want to attack. And if I was in one of those situations, it'd be obvious what the um, what the better move was for that card. And that, I think, is the um, the way that you can do this right, is you make these things, if a card has multiple uses, they need to be very different at a high strategy level, so that players can select strategies and not select just individual lines on a card to play. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's, that's, that's like, I think Pixel Tactic cards show this a lot. Because I think they show both the good and the bad of it. Exactly, exactly. They show the good because this is the difference between, like, hero uh, picking a card as your leader or not right like when you when you get your opening hand and you see your cards you know which one you want to be the leader right and you're not thinking about like oh i won't play this as the leader because i might need the hero version later on right so so that's really good the bad part is when you're picking between hero and order slash trap slash operations right because you're like oh i really need to summon this hero here but the order is so good, I might not want to do it. Or the order accomplishes a similar thing, but just takes more time to do. So I, you, you don't know what to do anymore at that point. So that's that's where it can be very bad. Because people like start going into the think tank and wondering, oh, what's the more optimal play and all that stuff. And that just dampens the play experience so, so much. Yeah, you don't want players to have to do calculation to figure out which of your modes is better and i think that's that's the big takeaway right is that a mode should be better because i've made a strategic choice and then it's obvious which mode is the correct way to play this card to follow my strategic choice i want to have an intention first and then the execution um and if your cards are very similar or uses are similar then players have to look at the execution first and then make their intention yeah which is which is not good which is not good because that's like ap territory a hundred percent of the time yeah. Uh, and and in following with that, it's also good to make these um, these multiple uses have a very different power level. Um, not even strategic, but a very different power level. So that it's clear to a player how to prioritize these choices. Like in Exceed, the way you win, the best thing to do is hit somebody with an attack. So the attack is obvious, the obvious your, your obvious first move. If I could use a card as an attack, I would. 
because that's the best. I get the most mileage out of it that way. But if I can't, then I have a boost. And then if I can't, if the boost even is not useful, I have it. I can use it as force. Yeah. But it's clear what the priority is of those different uses. What's the and, best use, and what's the what's the worst use? And even then, it doesn't have to be static for the entire system, right? Certain characters in Exceed like flip that entirely. Some people just yeah. want a bunch of cards in their hand for force. Some characters just want a bunch of boosts, right? But, but it is it is on an experience level, like a, like on a whole game level. It's yeah. not on a card by card level. Yes, yes, um, yes. It's a, it's on a per character basis, right? Not on a per card basis. Yeah. So when you sit down, you already know what your kind of strategic matrix is. Yes, yes. And I think that's really important to to um, playing a game with that level of complexity effectively. Okay, Brad. Next up. Here's my other point. Pixel Tactics also kind of shows this, and we talked about this earlier. Um, trying to make multi-use cards that don't make use of the symbols and stuff, you might go crazy and put 17 text boxes onto a single card. And yeah, that might seem very intimidating to players. It, okay, there's like multiple levels of why this is bad, but ultimately, nobody wants to read a card with 17 text boxes on it, right? And even then, the text is either too small or you're making use of a lot of cryptic symbols that people might not understand anymore. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and so the, the complexity is a real factor that you want to think about. Um, and that's why I say that if your first use is text, your second use is probably as a number, and then your third use is probably just for the position of the card on the table. right? So the what you see in these games is that one or two effects tend to be large, you know, exception style effects. We mm -hmm. call what we the like cards we see in Magic or Hearthstone or any of these kind of we call them exception based effects because they are effects that override the core rules with a new with a new ability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you only want one, maybe two exception based effects on your card and then the rest should be system system based effects where I'm using the system and the card or resources just powering it or just uh, you know, making it work rather than uh, than actually uh, creating an effect inside that system. Huh. You know what I've realized now that you've mentioned it? Is that as much as I made fun of Hearthstone, Magic, and like other TCGs, they do still make use of flexible usage. So like, yeah, yeah like for example, in Pokemon TCG, cards are your life too, right? It's There's no strategic choice associated with that. So the strategic choice is an important part of it. Yeah. I th I th well, for the implementation, right? This is a function this card performs, but I don't, uh, I don't choose to put it there. And in that sense, perhaps going back to our example for Race for the Galaxy, that might be a little bit flawed too, because a card that is put on a planet doesn't come from your hand. You don't choose what to put there. You don't consume that resource. It just exists in that zone. So we might have to pare back our definition a little bit to, um, to be more reasonable. I think ultimately it's not always, it doesn't always have to be like a decision for the player, right? Like, the game system itself could just make use of those cards in different ways. And that's still kind of like a flexibility of use. And it still gives you the, 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 the crossover between systems because I could flip that card over and add it to my hand, for example. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, then it, these, and then now these zones are linked in a way that is, um, that's not directly correlated with the rules of the game. And it still kind of informs your strategic decision-making, right? Like... You know, you know, it's like sometimes you want to like knock out a thingy mabobbin and Pokemon TCG so that you can get a card, and because it's it's draw a card essentially is what happens, right? When you draw a prize, 
or mm-hmm. like in Magic, where they're like in Magic. Uh, I think Magic's also a good example because there are some cards in Magic that do that thing where instead of just like like there are effects where you could totally just like have them put counters on top of something, but instead of counters, they choose to put cards. You know what I mean? So like there's a there's hmm. a there's a there's a card that's like when this attacks, you know, put the card underneath it. And then it gains plus one, plus one for each card underneath it. Like, it could entirely just be that that thing could have just been plus one, plus one counters, right? And I think those are, those are you know, with when you have an exception-based effect system, you can do all these kind of things. But I think we're talking truly about, like, a real system-wide um, effect that is baked into the cards. So if we were going to use magic, the real example here would be morph. You can play a card face up, or you can play it face down as a morph creature. There and you those go. are two ways that you could play the same card that would have different effects. Um, not just like different uh, statistical effects, but actually it would be a different kind of thing if I played it one way versus another. Um, so I think that to, to implement this, you really need to bake that decision into the very nature of the cards. If the cards don't, don't inherently provide the effect then it's more of a niche case and I don't think and not like a system wide case. I see. So ultimately what we're talking about here is the system wide thing, not just on a like card per card basis. That that when a card is in my hand, I have multiple ways that I can play that card and it and it accomplishes something different in each of these different ways. When I play it in each of these different ways. You know, it's in the name of what we called it, Brad. Flexibility of use right yeah it's not just flexibility it's about the flexibility of use which implies that the player or the players have to be able to use it in some way and it's not just they have the agency of deciding which way that this this piece is going to be used yeah there there you go that's that's really the distinction that that you, you need to make that's really the distinction you need to make but brad i'm sorry i have to do one more bad thing to you what what bad thing are you gonna do now, Marco? Is is give you another like sad thing, uh, and it's ultimately when you okay. So this is a case of implementing it very poorly, right? And it's that it might make players feel like you're just purposely skimping out on components, or you couldn't afford more components, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, ultimately, if the effect would operate much better if you just gave them tokens or counters or dials or whatever but you somehow just keep trying to force cards into the mix just so that you could say you have flexibility of use, then that's not good. Because it's not just about like making players feel like you're skimping out or you're cheap, but it's also because the tactile feel or like the management of the cards makes it so that it, it, it doesn't work very well, right? Like imagine if, if in Magic, loyalty counters on your Planeswalker had to be cards from your deck, right? It, it would make it <clears throat> untenable. It would make no sense, right? Or, yeah. um, for for example, like, what if in a card game with 20 life, your life is represented with cards, and each card is one life point? Like, no, just give them a dial or a dice, right? It's it's obvious to players nowadays, and we did cut a lot of these corners in the old days, and I think back to games like uh, Bonanza by, um, uh, by Yui Rosenberg that... Um, the game in the, in the game you build sets and once you build the set you take one of the cards out and that card becomes a dollar for you and on the back of every card there's printed a dollar a uh, coin that so that when you flip it over you know oh it's this other kind of thing and it does have the effect of of reducing down the deck at the same time i sort of wonder well did they do that just to uh did they do that to purposely dilute the deck or did they do it 
as a primary way to save cards, and the fact that they lose the deck is just a happy accident. Um, yeah. Or, but but certainly in the case of like Race for the Galaxy, it would have been much cleaner to just put cubes onto those planets instead of cards. Um, and yeah. uh, and that was just done to save components, almost certainly. Almost certainly. How, yeah, well, almost how, certainly. How sure are you on this, Brad? A 95% chance or a 75% chance? Uh, I don't know. Given that the new board game completely did away with all that, I feel like it's it's closer to the 95. Yeah. Um, the new Race for the Galaxy board game is really good, by the way. That's why it's on my mind and I keep making examples, because um, New Frontiers is quite good. Oh really? I should check it out myself. Yeah, um, but in, in New Front, it's it's kind of it's kind of like they took Race for the Galaxy and they took out everything that we talked about in this episode because now the planets are a different component and the developments are a different kind of component and the goods are a different kind of component and your money is actually money and not cards anymore. So it's like they took out the flexibility use and just made it into a complete like every component is its own thing now, um, and it's not bad. But I do miss a little bit of the charm of choosing what I'm going to keep and what I'm going to use as resources from the original race. Yeah. It's a different experience. It's a different experience, and it's a lot cleaner of an experience. Mostly, and- I think that speaks more to the complexity of races' cards than of the uh, than of the the dimensions of flexibility and use. We we make fun of races for the galaxy, right? Like in Millennium Blades, there's a card. Yeah, I think. we we have the uh, Galactic Trend Settlers, which is a a cross between Race for the Galaxy and for and a cross between yeah and Settlers of Catan. Yeah, and it's uh, if I remember correctly, the, like the the flavor text is like I'll trade you my, and then it's just like a seven character. It's this trade. formula. It's a formula, <laughs> and then and it's like for your sheep or something. And um, because that's how effects in Race for the Galaxy actually look. They're expressed almost like formulas. Yeah. Um, and they it, can be pretty daunting. It looks like algebra class, but like instead of X's and Y's, it's like random alien letters. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's it's a it's a fun game. I don't want to I don't want to throw too much shade at race. I do I do love it. And once you know how to play it, it's a ton of fun. That's why it's a, a classic. You know, at the end of the day, like when we mention games on this show, it's not because we're hating on them, right? We're using them as examples. Sometimes, sometimes I mean, we're hating on them. Sometimes we're hating on them, but like there 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 has to be a degree of respect, right? Because when we're hating on these games, uh, well, I think hating is a too strong of a word. Like when we criticize these games. It's because we care about how they implemented it, and we understand that some thought went into the design of this game, and we feel like the game could have been better. And ultimately, when you feel like something yeah. could have been better, that means there's a, a there's an amount of respect for the idea that the developers were going for. It's just that except they... in the episode where we reviewed Absolver, uh, Abs Lover, <laughs> yes, Abs Lover. <laughs> except in the episode where we reviewed that was Abs just Lover. that was just shade. Yeah, that, that was I think just... we all I think we wanted it to be good. But anyway. So that pretty much does it for this episode of the New Level Cap podcast, where we talk about flexibility of use and how you can implement it in your game. If you have any cool examples yourself, please tell us in the comments section down below, and we would love to discuss this topic more with you. Do you think flexible use is good? What are some good examples of flexible use that you've found? What are some horrible examples? Again, discuss in the comment section down below because that's what this is all about, you know, a discussion between us and you. Brad, anything you want to tell us? mostly listeners? between us. I mean, yes, between me and Brad. I mean, that's the podcast, right? Like, it's me and you discussing and 
honestly, if we asked the community to jump into the podcast and discuss with us, that would be crazy. That would be, just be chaos. Yes, it would also imply that we are somehow a hive mind and able to connect to each other regardless of time zone or equipment or everything. Uh, is there anything you want to ask our listeners uh, before we go? I'd like to hear about the games that you thought that were improved by these kind of mechanics and maybe what you imagine, how you imagine a game might take out or put in these mechanics. So take your favorite game, think about, well, how could I implement flexibility of use in that game? Or if that game has flexibility of use, think about how I could pull it out and how that would change it. And play Race for the Galaxy and play New Frontiers, and you'll see a really distinct difference in the way that these games were. One is basically the same as the other, but with the absence of this flexibility of use mechanic. And see what you think about it. See what you think and tell us in the comment section down below. So, thank you so very much for listening to this episode of the New Level Cap Podcast. If you do like what you've listened to, please tell us in the comment section down below and share it with a friend. And if you absolutely hated it, share it with a friend of me. As usual, it has been me, your host, Marco DeSantos, also known as Mechanic Critic, and with me has been my very flexible of use. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? All right, um, it's me, Brad Talton, and I'd like to wish you all uh, happy gaming. Thank you for listening to the show, and have a great week. Good night, world of Indians. Thank, Thank you, you. And good night. And good night. The new Level Cap podcast is produced by Level 99 Games. Join us next Wednesday for more design talk and shenanigans. This has been Chris Solis, and thank you for listening.